On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. Lord, fill us this day with the strength and the power of your word. May it nourish us not as an inferior thing that comes later, but as a foretaste of the great feast to come when we all sit at your wedding banquet, the day of your coming. All these things we ask in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Paul writes, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's just one small piece of this larger letter to the church in Corinth, where he explains to them how they've been consumed with their own sin, their own selfishness, and their own status, and how none of that really even matters because they've been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, marked with the cross of Christ forever. Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth is a rocky one at best. He starts his letter reprimanding them for saying that some are greater than others based on the one who baptized them. He writes to them condemning their sexually immoral behavior that they're condoning and practicing in and admonishes them to be humble, self-giving, instead of selfish and consumed with earthly desires. <clears throat> then he calls them out on their bickering and the jealousy and the hatred that they hold toward one another. The Corinthians are taking their fellow Christian neighbors to court instead of coming to one another first to settle their grievances with mercy with sincerity, with honesty, with the help of the church. Then he goes on to correct their practices of eating food offered to pagan idols. He urges them to treat each other faithfully in marriage and to live lives worthy of their calling as Christians. He encourages them to care for the unmarried, the widowed, the orphaned. All of these things that we think just come naturally. At this point in the letter, Paul's all but exhausted everything that has gone wrong in the church in Corinth. 
But in each and every one of those instances, he's clear and he's certain to make sure that he points to everything that God has done right in Jesus. So much so that immediately before the passage we read today from 1 Corinthians, Paul's reminding them of the meal that we share in Holy Communion. He reminds them of the words shared by Jesus. Words that we repeat every week. This is my body, this is my blood given and shed for you. And then he says this to drive home the importance of what he's telling them. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come, eat and drink. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Be filled with the gift of the body and blood of Jesus. Proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus until he comes again. Don't fill yourself with vanity, with greed. Don't cast your hope in Powerball numbers or a winning football team. Be filled and strengthened with the Holy Spirit that you may do many wonderful things. And because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are, we become like these jars used at a a wedding in Cana. They're used for the Jewish rite of purification, used to wash hands and utensils before eating a meal, filled to the brim with seemingly ordinary water, and by the power of God transformed into a choice wine, a symbol of joy, a symbol of abundance, a symbol of prosperity. How fitting, then, that in baptism our lives are purified by the water and the Spirit, and everything that we are is transformed to show the blood of Christ. How fitting, then, that God uses us as vessels to feed all gathered in creation, to nourish, to purify, to bless, just as these jars were used. The traditional understanding of this gospel passage, rightly so, points to a sign, a sign of the kingdom of God, God's wedding banquet, where God's grace fills all of creation to the brim. Halfway through the wedding, they run out of wine. And weddings in those days in the Jewish culture lasted not just a day, but for a week. To run out of wine before the party is over is to dishonor your guests, to dishonor the bride and the groom. And so Mary comes to Jesus. They've run out of wine. What concern of this is to you or to I? My hour has not yet come. The hour Jesus speaks of is his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. But instead he gives them a sign. They fill these jars with water. And they are turned to the wine, not of an inferior quality, but of good choice stock. He doesn't give them just enough to finish out the remainder of the three and a half days or however long was left. He gives them more and more and more than they could ever imagine. A sign of the kingdom, a sign of his glory, a sign of joy, of abundance, of prosperity. 
How fitting then that we have been filled to the brim with the power of the Holy Spirit. God has filled us with this power, with this spirit, and given us the gift of Jesus himself. The gift of healing, the gift of wholeness, the gift of prosperity. And God uses us for the purification of the world through these gifts that we've been given. And so we come back to Paul. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another faith, by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing, by the one spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discernment of spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same spirit. Who allots to each one individually. Just as the spirit chooses. Filled to the brim with the grace of God. Our gifts are different. Our gifts are many. But they complement one another. They work together not for our sake but for the sake of the world. For the sake of one another. We've not only been filled with the Holy Spirit but given these gifts and these talents. Given them by God. To bless and to serve. Pray over one another. That your gifts may grow in fullness. And become a blessing to all the lives of those around you. Explore the gifts that you have. Find new ways to share your talents. To work miracles for the grace of God. And encourage one another. To learn what gifts you may not know you possess yet. God has filled us to the brim. Now let us go serve his people. With the best that God has offered to them through us. Amen.